Do you mind if I smoke? It won't affect the test. All right, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just relax and answer them as simply as you can. You've got a little boy. He shows you his butterfly collection, including the killing jar. I'd take him to the doctor. You're listening to a podcast. Suddenly, you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. Which podcast? It doesn't matter. Just answer the questions, please. Which podcast? Um, now playing the movie review podcast hosted by Stuart, Jacob, and Brock. The movie series being reviewed is the Philip K. Dick series with such classic films as Blade Runner, Total Recall, and Minority Report. I go to nowplayingpodcast.com every Friday to download a new episode of the series. You hear a warning that these podcasts will be full of spoilers. I hit pause, watch the movie, and then listen to the podcast. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page photo of a naked woman. Shh, with the questions. The podcast is starting. Today we're talking about Screamers, starring Peter Weller, Royd Dupree, Jennifer Rubin, and directed by Christian Duguay. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob. I'm pretty sure you could have just stopped at starring Peter Weller, because who the hell is anyone else in this movie? <laughs> well, I was, I was going to do starring Peter Weller, Jennifer Rubin, the guy from Caroline in the City, and a whole bunch of people who don't even know. But I didn't think that was a good idea. You know, I was like, eh... The roller skating guy from from Carolina in the city. I'm surprised they didn't make it on the poster. <laughs> so here we are with one of the first movies in this Philip K. Dick series that I'm going to go on on a limb and say none of us had heard of before. Not true. I remember seeing the movie From Dust Till Dawn mm-hmm. and the preview before was Screamers. All that I remembered was that it involved something with robots buzzing around in the sand and Peter Weller looking perturbed that his career had gone this way. <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard of this movie. I, I actually went to YouTube to look at the trailer to see if he could jog any memories. And no, I, I had no idea this movie existed. What makes Peter Weller the man? Robocop? Robocop. Is that it? That's it? That, that's, dude, it's Robocop. You don't just say that's it with Robocop. I was watching <laughs> Robocop on, this, on the Spanish station the other day because I, I don't speak Spanish, but Robocop is a universal language. And once you star in, in Robocop, I guess you could do Screamers. I'm going to give you a bye. <laughs> well, he was also in Buckaroo Banzai. I was about to say, he's taken a lot of dips in the sci-fi pool. Leviathan, you remember that one? It was like one of those underwater Russian sub-movies where they, they poisoned the vodka and it turned people into sea monsters. Well, there was a, it was the summer where there was several underwater horror movies happening at once. Deep Star 6, Leviathan, and The Abyss. And right. this, it was one of them. I see. Uh, yeah, see, to me, Peter Weller is fine. Robocop, you know, it's it's not my favorite movie, Jacob, but it certainly is a popular movie nonetheless. And besides that, it's one role. I, if the guy's ever going to be known for anything, that's fine. It's one, it, but it's he's not a big star. To me, this is the kind of movie that I think of him being associated with. So maybe I can shed some light on why Weller took this role. I, I don't know if this was a blessing or a curse. I, I actually saw Screamers in the movie theater, and I know I said before I'd never seen this film when it came out. I don't even remember it coming out. So how is this possible? Is it a brain implant? Did I time travel? No. I went to Santa Monica. 
And down in Santa Monica, <laughs> there's this little movie theater from like the 1940. Usually they'll do double features uh, of just old movies. They're doing a, an Akira Kurosawa uh, retrospective where they're showing, you know, double features of all his, his movies. And they're actually doing a Peter Weller retrospective. They're covering six of his films, two each night. What on earth were they showing? What six movies could they possibly select? Well, I, I the, could the think one, of three. The, the, the one I went to is RoboCop and Screamers. And, man, I, I've talked about my love for RoboCop. To be able to see that on the big screen finally, that, that was my big motivation. They're doing a Naked Lunch and the New Age double feature. And I don't recall the, the third one. I, I don't understand why RoboCop 2 and RoboCop weren't paired up, but that's okay. Yeah, really. Well, because Screamers. I mean, come Yeah, on. because it's, no it's one like, would go if it was Screamers and Leviathan. Well, well, the great thing was is that Peter Weller was there. He was out there. He, he was great. In between the films, you know, RoboCop got that theater packed. And after that showed, he actually did a Q&A. And I thought there was no way he was going to get into Screamers. It was all going to be RoboCop. But he actually uh, talked about Screamers and why he took the role. And I figured it was going to be something like when he explained why he was in RoboCop 2. He said the reason he took that role is because his agent called him and said they added a zero to the paycheck. <laughs> and so I, I figured it was going to be something similar with Screamers, but I was actually surprised. He actually wanted to be in this film because it was based on a Philip K. Dick story. He's a big Philip K. Dick fan, even though he's not a science fiction fan. He's always loved Dick's work. And... What he said was he wanted to be part of that Philip K. Dick legacy. So when this opportunity came up, he took it. It, it was funny. He said he, he likes all his films, but sometimes while you're doing a film, you imagine it being a lot better than it actually ends up being. You don't ever <laughs> plan on being in a bad movie. Sometimes they just go that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the funny thing was, is like he's like, I've never seen this movie since it came out. He's like, it's been 15 years since I've watched Screamers. And he said it was an awful title. He hated the title Screamers. He wished they would have named it something different. But he had not seen it in 15 years, and he was going to stay and watch it. I actually stayed to watch it again because that's fine. I watched him sit down. I wanted to see if he was going to sit through the whole thing. And he actually did. He was sitting right behind me, and he stayed for the whole, whole film. Um, well, I'm glad you actually got a chance to see it. I'm sorry you had to sit through Screamers a second time, but... Um... It might have almost been worth it to hear Peter Weller. I do think he's a cool guy. He's always, he's always been better than most of the movie he's been in, I thought. If you ever get a chance to hear Peter Weller speak, totally take advantage of that. I mean, this guy was able to tear apart the like, last 20 years of pulp culture and... and tell us why it's total crap i mean the guy's knowledgeable he's he's working on his phd you know the day he came to do this retrospective he just turned in his phd thesis at ucla and was getting ready for the oral exam so the guy's got a brain obviously hasn't always led him to the right roles in movies but the guy's educated he knows what he's talking about he wouldn't be the first smart guy to end up in a dumb movie I think he's got way more charisma than anyone else in this movie. I always like Peter Weller, even though maybe his resume is not sterling. He always kind of does the same thing. He's kind of like Jeff Goldblum. He's got this quality. He's always like buttoned down with these steely blue eyes that pierce you. And I don't know, he, his heartbeat never goes above a gentle murmur. It, it's, he's low-key and kind of just cool and intellectual and wry and... I don't know. He's right. He's fun in the right roles. He was great in RoboCop, and I've seen him deliver good performances in not great movies. 
And I certainly agree with you. He is the best thing in this movie, and he has presence, absolutely. He carries this movie squarely on his shoulders, and props to him. But I think we should start off with a plot summary. Let me do something here. Let me give you a 30-second plot. Because <laughs> okay. I, I think... I think this is going to tell you if you like this movie or not. And, and then we can get into all the minute details. Go for it. But, but basically, here we go. There's robots that dig in the sand and attack people. This is Tremors in space. The twist is the robots modify themselves. So it's basically batteries not included meets Tremors oh. in space. Oh. Wow. And there you go. If that sounds awesome to you, you're going to love this movie. I, I got one more thing to add. With a budget from Canada. <laughs> well, it was filmed in the uh, Montreal Expo, so. <laughs> man, oh man. Well, I can't believe you actually referenced batteries not included. <laughs> you don't get many chances. <laughs> you got to use them when they come. Few uh, things compare, really. So if my 10-second plot summary doesn't do it for you, why, why don't you fill us in, Brock? Yeah, I think we need a little longer plot summary, because this can get confusing, and just in case you all haven't seen it, here is what the movie is about. Earthlings have colonized space, where they're obsessed with mining of this product called beridium. It's this valuable energy source, much like oil is on Earth here in the present day. And the miners of beridium, were called the NEB, are tired of being treated poorly and revolt against the Alliance, their employers, and war begins on this planet they're on called Sirius 6B. So, after many years of fighting, in an attempt to end the war, the Alliance creates screamers, metal balls that travel just below the ground surface that will attack any life form that comes near. And the only way not to be attacked is to wear a wristband that's called a tab. As the movie opens, we get all this information in exposition, and we see the Screamers completely rip apart an NEB soldier who was coming to the Alliance with a Peace Summit offering. So the leader of the Alliance in this outpost is called Hendrickson, played by Peter Weller, and he contemplates this peace offering as an Alliance transport suddenly crashes nearby his base with a lone survivor, Jefferson, arrives on the scene. And he informs <laughs> Hendrickson that the Beridium has been found on another moon and that everyone here on Sirius B is going to be abandoned, left to fight the NMB until they're all dead. So hearing this, he takes Jefferson on a trek to the NEB compound to talk about the peace agreement. Jefferson and Hendrickson travel across the land to go to the NEB compound they meet an abandoned boy called David, who's clutching this toy teddy bear, who wants them to take him with them. And they do. And when they get to the NEB compound, the soldiers there open fire, but not at the Alliance soldiers. They shoot at David. They destroy him completely because he's not a kid. He's a robot designed to prey on the sympathies of the humans to take them into their shelters. And then he kills all the humans inside. The last NEB soldiers in this compound are Becker, Ross, and Jessica, and they explain that everyone else in their compound has been wiped out by this David kid robot. David comes in with this sympathy story, and then they believe him, and then at night he lets in all these other David robots, and they kill everybody inside. So Jessica explains to Hendrickson that the Screamers have found a way not only to repair themselves, but to evolve, to make these human replicant-like Screamer robots. And so Hendrickson learns that the peace offering was a lure, not real, and therefore decides to return, the, and decides to return to the Alliance base with Jefferson, and he takes with them the three NEB agents. Now, the NEB agents tell Hendrickson that the Screamers have created three variety of human replicant Screamers. And David is the third variety. The rest of the movie moves away from this mining conflict, NEB alliance thing, and the movie now turns into 
Who else is actually a Screamer replicant? It becomes a paranoia tale. Becker, one of the NEB agents, kills his fellow agent Ross, suspecting he's a Screamer, and Hendrickson quickly falls in love with the woman Jessica. And as they travel back to the Alliance, they find an army of David robots has infiltrated the Alliance compound, and that army of robots, all carrying these cute little teddy bears, attacks them. So there's this big firefight scene, and during the firefight, Becker is injured. Jefferson, who was the guy who crash-landed on the planet earlier in the movie, goes over to help him, and Becker kills him, thus revealing that Becker is the second variety of replicant, what they call the wounded soldier variety. Once they're injured, the humans go over to help him, and in that sympathy moment, kills them. Learning that Becker is a replicant, they destroy him, and once inside the compound, Hendrickson and Jessica search for an escape vessel that will help them get off planet, And this escape vessel is genetically coded to the leader of the Alliance at any given time, which is... So they need him to activate the ship. It turns out, once they're in the compound, that Hendrickson's second-in-command has been transformed into a replicant. So him and Hendrickson fight. And during that fight, Hendrickson is injured. And so when he goes back to the ship after he defeats his friend and his love for Jessica, he says, Jessica, you take the ship. I'll stay behind. You go get help on Earth. But then as that conversation takes place, a second Jessica shows up making it obvious that she, too, is the last variety of Screamer. And the two Jessicas fight it out, the second Jessica is killed, and the first one, severely injured, shows that Screamers have evolved into being able to kill each other and to love, so basically that implies that the Screamers on this planet who are left behind will now fight against each other. Hendrickson gets in the plane, flies off planet, presumably to safety, but there is a David teddy bear on the dashboard implying that, oh no, the Screamers are going to spread back to Earth. I I almost understood everything this time around. (laughs) But you saw the movie! (laughs) I watched it like one and a half times! I'm just just starting to get it. Maybe it's just so multi-layer, you have to watch it multiple times. No, please. Maybe it's that smart. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm happy to profess ignorance. So a lot of characters, a lot of going on, but that is the movie, folks, right there. So if I confuse you a little bit, we'll break it down for you as we go. Now, the movie originally came from this short story that was a Cold War story, not a two different corporation kind of things fighting against each other. It was a Cold War story, which I thought was very interesting and wondered why they wouldn't just make it kind of like a period piece or at least something like you could still have the Russians be the villains in this. But just in the future. No. Why not? Because things had irreversibly changed by 1995. They just weren't making Cold War thrillers anymore. I even remember when Hunt for Red October came out in 1990, they had to give a happy ending, which basically acted like Sean Connery's Russian sub man, like kind of broke down the Iron Curtain or something. It was at that point, they weren't a threat. You know, there had been a coup and we just didn't see them as being the enemy anymore. I want to correct you there. Rocky broke the Iron Curtain in 1985 when he fought Ivan Drago. That's true. And he yes. and beat Reagan to the punch. That's right, exactly. No pun intended. So why can't then you have it be Australians then? Or why can't you have it be... <laughs> <laughs> Canadians! Why well, It should have been Americans versus Canadians in space. I mean, that is a battle that is long overdue. This whole Neb thing and Alliance thing, you had this whole thing in the beginning, the movie starts with like a Star Wars-type explanation of what's going on. You don't even need that. You could have two different factions. Who cares about Nebs and Berinium and all that crap? My eyes were glazing over. It was very, very difficult. And I read the story, and it was very difficult for me to keep track of who was on what side, who had invented the Screamers, 
and what the conflict all was. Even as you were giving the plot summary and, and trying to give a simplistic one, my, I was just like, I don't understand. <laughs> this movie is needlessly complicated. And you, you talked about, first of all, it starts off with like the year 20-whatever on Sirius 6B. And then it goes into this long monologue with the scrolling titles telling you what's going on. And then it jumps into the credits. And so like 15 minutes later, you're getting into the story. I'm like, I don't remember all that exposition. And exposition (laughs) is going to be a main theme for this movie. There's a lot of it. But you know what? In in 1995, I was graduating high school. I consider myself to be kind of above par when it comes uh, to politics. My father spent a lot of time talking about the political situation. I remember in the 80s as a child, him talking about the difference between the Soviet Union and America and and why you'd want to live in America versus the Soviet Union, communism versus capitalism. I don't know how many people, how many kids my age had those conversations, how aware they were of what the Cold War was like. I mean, talking to my dad even now, he still can't believe the Cold War ended. I mean, that's just something he thought he would die and would still be there. But this movie isn't aimed at the baby boomers. This is definitely going for that, you know, the, the Gen Xers and younger, so I, I don't, if you throw this in a Cold War setting, I don't know how well that, that would have gone over with the audience. Okay, but is the solution then making up, as you said, this needlessly complicated story that really has no basis from the actual short story? I don't remember that being that complicated in the short story. No, no, it wasn't. They added this whole other subplot about this space shuttle crashing onto the planet, and no, it, it gets complicated. I think this movie was just made at the wrong time. I mean, if it would have been made during the 80s, you could tapped into that Cold War paranoia, because this movie... It's about paranoia. It's about who do you trust. If it was made 10, 15 years later, post-9-11, again, you could tap into that paranoia. The, the big deal with post-9-11 is who do you trust? You know, there's this tier of people that you're suspicious of. Male from the Mideast, you know, they're at the top of that bracket, and you work your way down. And our biggest fear in America is that it's, it's the white people that start, you know, doing the bombings. You know, you, you had the stories a few months ago of Jihad Jane, you know, this white woman from the Midwest. And that's what's scary and in the 90s, it was about Clinton getting a blowjob. There was no <laughs> conflicts going on at the time. I mean, it was a time of relative world peace. And so this movie, it, it had to make something up because there's no cultural consciousness to tap into of the time to borrow the, you know, those ideas of paranoia. I kind of like the idea, you know, you had these people that they're very much pro-company. You know, you have the, the miners who created all this radiation and that's destroyed the world. You get the alliance, they break off because they want to stop getting radiated and they start fighting. I don't know, as far as science fiction goes, I, I thought it was kind of a cool setup. But yeah, it's needlessly complicated. The story was written, it's called Second Variety, and the story was written in 1953, and there's no doubt about it. Philip K. Dick was commenting on the Red Scare, the whole idea that people that looked like Americans could really be harboring ideas that could kill and destroy our country. And I think that he was actually astutely exploring that paranoia. It was done a lot in the 50s. I mean, it was hardly Philip K. Dick being the only one that did it. This movie was going to be made in the 80s. The screenwriter Dan O'Bannon, who also wrote Alien and who did contribute to Total Recall, wanted to make this in the early 80s. 
and had a script at that time to make. It's too bad that it did not go forward at that period because there would have been a social relevance that this movie just doesn't have. You take away the threat of communism from the story, and all you really got are a bunch of robots in the sand. There's really very little here to talk about as far as political satire or commentary. I mean, this becomes the Terminator, a poor version of the Terminator. I mean, the Terminator didn't really tap into any. I, I guess it, you know our fear of computers in the early '80s, but yeah, it doesn't. There's really nothing to tap into deeper than than what you're seeing on the screen. And when I first saw the movie, before I read the story, I read the story after I saw the movie. One of my notes was, I think James Cameron owes this guy some money because he stole some ideas here that are very close to the Terminator. And then I read the story. And I was like, oh, okay, they might have – it's a trade-off because the story does have robots in there. But then again, it's, it's not the same thing. So it's very interesting how my viewpoint on that changed because of reading the original story. That being said, robots that look like humans that want to, to exterminate human beings is very much the Terminator. You brought up motivation. I actually thought this movie was better than Terminator 4. But uh, in Terminator, you get an idea of why the robots are going after humans. You know, you get Skynet, it becomes self-aware, it sees humans as a threat, blah, 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 needs to extinguish them. Get rid of John Connor, who's going to raise this army against them. I don't know why the screamers are attacking people originally they're made as a weapon to attack one side and then they turn on all people and why is there ever an ex- as much exposition I, as in this movie maybe i just missed it i think what they said is the screamer kills anything alive it's like that dumb it's just programmed to just run its chainsaw through anything it sees that it's alive and the only way that you avoid meeting its blades or if you wear this little bracelet called a tab and the tab basically disguises your vital signs so that you look dead to the screamer and since the alliance are the only people that have the tabs the other side is the one that's being totally hacked to bits but jacob's saying that the motivation the why that these screamers become self-aware to start creating human replicants to continue their work is not fully fleshed out the self-awareness in Terminator seems to make sense. The machines became too smart, and they re- realized they didn't need the humans anymore. That simple motivation isn't even here for the Screamers. We don't understand why the Screamers went the next step. Well, that's because you didn't see Screamers 2. Oh. And I did. <laughs> well, that's going on my Netflix queue. <laughs> Mine's going... Nowhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so that we understand, Dan O'Bannon started the screenplay here, probably did keep some of the Cold War elements that we were talking about from the original story, and then it eventually got rewritten by a writer who wrote Revenge of the Nerds and part of The Lion King. And um, I think that he might have been the one to, to come up with some of this non-Cold War stuff that's in here. He also went on to write a sequel that went direct to DVD last year, Screamers 2 The Hunting, and in that he sort of corrects some of the confusions that are in Screamers. I'll just run through them briefly. One, one of the things he does is he makes the conflict a little bit more understanding. Instead of these gobbledygook involving the NEB and the Alliance, which which side are we rooting for? He explains it more as it is the mining company versus the scientists, and it is the scientists who are building the screamers. So that, Did that I come got out before Avatar or after that that sequel. It came out slightly before. 
Okay, because that, that sounds like the same kind of plot, but anyways. Yes. Well, Sc- Screamers 2 is a recent movie. It came out last year. Uh, one other thing I want to add before, <laughs> since we're only just now trying to talk about Screamers, and I think we're about to talk about how we feel about the movie, they also comment on the fact that Screamers have a battery that only lasts two years, and so that the Screamer will die in two years. Unless well, at it least knows. they were more forward-thinking than Blade Runner, where they gave him a four-year battery. Right, right. Well, they <laughs> it, they figure out a way. The reason why they replicate themselves is a way to keep themselves alive. But none of that is in the original movie. So. Not, not a thing. And I'm not advocating that you see Screamers 2 to uh, untangle all of the knots that are presented in these early scenes of hugely complicated exposition. I gotta say, when I meet people that tell me they don't like science fiction, this is the movie I imagine they're picturing in their head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just like these no-name actors wearing a bunch of metal, running around in the desert, shooting at cheaply made robots, and talking gobbledygook about conspiracy theories and made-up rocks, and I, it just uh, it's the kind of thing that's so off-putting for many people who are, are not naturally inclined to, to the trappings of a science fiction story. It really is hard to understand what's going on here. And, and I was trying. I like science fiction. I was trying. And I got to say, in this, I read the story, and I was paying close attention. I didn't watch it on my phone. It was on my TV. I had nothing else <laughs> on. And I'm, I'm taking notes. I did not understand half of the story. Still, I don't feel like I understand half of this story. You know, I got the story. I understood the story. The f- opening scene when the one guy is, is on to the crest of the hill and the screamers kind of apart and the other people are in the bunker watching it happen, doing nothing to stop them. They go out, don't get killed by the screamers. It all unfolds. They talk a lot of exposition like on CSI when they over-explain how they do the processes to people who actually know how they're doing it. But they do that there for the benefit of the audience. Okay, so once they had that first scene, and then we get to see Peter Weller, they keep pushing and pushing, pushing even more exposition. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much exposition. In my notes, just over and over, and more exposition, and more exposition. That, like, I have that written six times. I think one of the things that science fiction movies of this type love to do is talk about how the company, the government, whatever, is not supporting them, that they create this animosity, this conflict between the workaday people and the totalitarian systems that run them. There's a whole subplot here in which Peter Weller gets information from a hologram from Earth who they find out was actually not real and is actually mining another planet. Could anyone explain to me with any kind of coherence what that was about. Well you, well, you had a miner's revolution on a different planet, just like Total Recall, and you had, is it a person or is it a robot, just like in uh, Blade Runner. Right. Just a lot of repeated themes here. The reason the other planet's going on is that it gives the motivation for him to go to make peace with the other side. Otherwise, he'd keep fighting it to death because he thinks everything is going on forever. Basically, the, the whole reason to have the other mining planet was to make him go off and seek peace. The other side is already seeking peace. I couldn't in the book. That's enough for him to go out and, and search for him. Correct. Here uh, they add, like I said, they added this whole other subplot about this crash spaceship and, and Jefferson. I don't know why he needs to be in this movie. He reminded me of like a a character. I, I don't know from one of those marijuana movies. You know, uh, with, with Dave Chappelle or something. Just there for comedic effect, and he is annoying. And I don't know why they needed added him. Or they ha- already had enough motivation. Hey, the other 
side wants peace, I'm going to go over there and make a truce with them. I'm sick of fighting this war. Jefferson's there so Peter Weller can explain what's going on as they're walking. Exactly. Yeah, just, that's yeah. all there is to it. He's he's us in this movie. And the, and I would say the other reason is once it's introduced that the people that we're seeing may not all be people, but screamers. He's your most obvious choice, a character that literally just falls out of the sky with a bunch of troops that all get sucked underneath, but he doesn't. I was thinking he was going to be a screamer. I thought it was pretty obvious that, well, this is a new character, and so obviously it's got to be the screamer. Which run down quickly... The different kinds of screamers in the movie, so therefore we're all clear. Yeah, I don't know that we'll be clear, but let's run them down. First of all, there's the ball. What do they call that? That's just a screamer? The, let's call that looks- Screamer Prime. That's the original. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Right. And that looks like the Phantasm Ball from the Phantasm movie. Oh, yeah. I yes. totally was thinking that. And done for about the same amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a variation on them. It looks more like, I don't know, what was that? Like some kind of creature, like a reptile. Yeah, a rat. Like a two-legged robot rat or something. I thought that was kind of cool looking. But yeah, it's, it's this weird reptilian robot thing. All right. And then we're supposed to ex- understand that it goes from these basic, look like erector set looking things, to <laughs> totally completely. Completely humanoid skin, nothing out of place. And there's three of them. There's the type two is a soldier that's always gaining your sympathies by proclaiming they're wounded. And then when you get close, I guess they're going to buzzsaw you. And then they have the Davids, which charm you with their little teddy bear and their whole little, I don't have anyone, can I follow you act. And then there is... As far as I can tell, two other ones. There's the seductress Jessica, who is sort of in a bind because she's so close to a human now that she actually develops emotions and does fall in love with her prey. Or at and least she actually bleeds and doesn't have what we can tell robot parts inside. Correct. Yeah, it's more just like a replicant idea like we've seen in Blade Runner. And then there's this thing that they never really explain, but it's in the climax. His good buddy at the beginning of the movie has his face sawed off and put on something that's robotic and attacks Hendrickson in the finale. But he has the same body type after that, and there's no scars or lines or anything like that. But they expect us to go with it for an extra twist at the end of the movie. I think just about everything in here is actually a screamer except for Hendrickson. (laughs) But but whatever. Let's talk about the screamer humans. Once we discover that screamers can become humans, the movie changes. So the first human replicant we meet is a boy. And I did not see that coming, that the boy was a replicant. Now, I didn't read the story ahead of time, but when they shot the boy, did you see it coming? Did you know he was a screamer ahead of time? Did you, did you see that one coming? Yeah, I, I saw that coming. I, it, was, it was just too weird. His voice was just too robotic. He kept saying the same thing over. It, it was creepy. You, you said it changed the direction of the movie, and I liked the direction it changed once they introduced David, once they introduced this idea of human replicants. You know, it wasn't just a, a bad sci-fi movie. Now it was getting to science fiction horror, and I love science fiction horror. There's something about the two genres coming together that I like. So I like the direction it moved once it introduced David. I knew where they were going with them, but they kept going with the idea, and they had some more surprises to come 
So when they shoot him like halfway through this film and, you know, you see all these robotic ears popping out of him, I, I thought it was cool. I, it, got, it got me to smile. I liked the direction the movie was going in by this point. I read the stories before I watch the movies. That's way I can, I can review the story freshly on Books and Nachos while I'm doing this concurrent series in which I actually read the Dick stories and evaluate them without the gloss of the movies interfering. So I, it was really important that I read this story. This is directly directly from the story. In fact, a lot of this comes directly from the story. They've just added a lot of needless exposition to create, I don't know, intrigue, a mood, waste time, stretch it out, however you want to interpret it. But this kid thing, this David, the little boy and the teddy bear, is straight out of the story. Which I didn't need. I would have loved the rest of this movie for them to be locked in some dark room and just a, a total psychological thriller. They try to figure out who the replicants are before they kill the rest of them. I would have really liked to see the movie go in that direction. It, it's determined to become an action flick, so it doesn't. But I, man, I, I really like the psychological factor here. I wish they would have just embraced that and gone with it more. How cool is it when that scene when they had an army of Davids, like zombies, coming like in a wave, and they're just picking them off like a shooting gallery? How cool was that? That was awesome. Yeah, it was because uh, it, it's taboo too. It's like bringing back RoboCop. RoboCop Two. The main villain is a child drug dealer. So I like this idea where you take this movie is going to be about shooting eleven-year-old boys in the face because they're actually bad guys. You're, you're taking something that's not a threat and turning it into a threat, and I love that. I didn't love it. <laughs> I, I didn't love a lot about Screamers. Let's walk it back just a little bit here. So we're saying that there are war machines living under the ground that are running rampant. And even though they're supposed to die out in two years, they've built newer and new versions. The Screamer version one essentially looks like Phantasm Balls. It's quite a jump to go from these (laughs) objects to a perfect facsimile of people. Like, where do they get the parts? How do they make them? Why are they suddenly much larger? And how do they climb out of the sand? There's so much that I wanted to know. What is you the know prototype? what, though, Stuart? Sometimes less is more. And do you really want more ex- exposition to explain all of this? How David's crawl out of the sand? I thought it was cool because at the beginning you see the screamer mutilate this guy. And it starts taking his parts, his arms and his legs. I'm like, why are they taking limbs you get this payoff they're obviously using that to replicate dna i don't know how they're doing it they haven't had that long to evolve but whatever i don't want more exposition i don't want answers to these i could just go with it by this point i would have loved to seen this underground factory they keep talking about it and building it up i thought at some point we get to see this underground screamer factory that we never get to see i I thought that was a huge miss from this movie it's in screamers too (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got to watch it now. I, no, you, can, you can keep pushing this movie all you want, dude. I am not watching Screamers, too. It's not going to happen. I'm not advocating you watch Screamers or Screamers, too. I am simply saying that there is a lot more. I felt like the second writer did a mea culpa and explained the things we really needed to know in the second movie that weren't in this first movie here. By the way, Jacob, it wasn't clear to me that by sawing them to pieces and pulling them underground that that was what they were doing. I actually thought it was a very efficient way of killing someone and then burying them before they rot. I think that was why they were designed to do that. I took it that they were using their skin to skin the robots. Maybe all of the above. 
it was something that I needed to see in order to get into the movie, and the movie does not want to show you. I don't think it had the budget. I don't think it had the budget to show you how the Screamers were working underground. So they told us there were three varieties. So that's the rat and the ball, the soldier, and the boy. The, the ball is like the prototype. So rat is variety one, David is variety three, and then you find out that variety two is a soldier that acts like he's wounded and calls out for help over and over. And for much of the movie, we don't know who that is. They're playing the suspense game of one of the people that Peter Weller meets when he finally gets to the other side, the NEB side. Remember that, those guys? When he gets to the NEB and befriends them, he becomes convinced that one of them is a screamer. He almost finds out. He goes to a mainframe computer, and they're downloading it, but he has to leave because they're being attacked, and they're playing all these games, and then one of the guys shoots another guy, and it turns out that he's bleeding and, and not a screamer inside. And, of course, Screamers hasn't bitten off more than it can chew already with this complicated mining war scenario and the paranoia of one of the people or multiple versions of the people that are surviving being an actual robot in disguise. It's also a love story. How do you guys feel about that? Is this uh, tugging at the heartstrings the way that Deckard and Rachel did? Peter Weller meets the girl who's in charge of the outfit. The other two guys are bickering back and forth. There's a scene where he goes upstairs with her. She gives him scotch. He sits down. They start talking shop, whatever. She decides she needs to take a sponge bath right in front of a guy she just met, just met. Took her shirt off, at least put her, she put her back to him. And I, I know in the army, when women are, you know, in movies, when women and men are in the army together, they typically don't really worry about nudity all that much because they're all team and they're you know, together and they support each other. But they just met each other, these two. So that didn't make much sense to me. And then he says to her, you're a beautiful woman. And I said instantly, she's a replicant. Oh, yeah. They gave it away 100% right there. And it was so – I could not believe they tipped their hands so quickly and so easily right there. All I got to say is why are they playing these incognito games? Why don't they just go and solve Peter Weller in half? What you said is absolutely correct. If the other guy turns out to be a screamer, if she turns out to be a screamer, and later on there's other screamers, why on earth – did they, or why on Sirius 6B, <laughs> would, would they even bother doing it? And the only thing I can think of is they want to get off planet. And in the book, obviously in the short story, that is what happens. I read it yeah. first, so I knew instantly I knew that if it was going to stay true, the token woman in the story was going to be the replicant and that she seduces the Hendrickson character as a way of getting to the ship that will get her. Well, in the story, they're on Earth and she wants to get to the moon. Here, she wants to get back to Earth. But whatever, she's going to use her wiles to seduce him and get to the planet. And they do a twist on that. That's not exactly what happens, but it was something that I anticipated coming. And see, this gets back to what is my motivation for the Screamers? Obviously, they want to get back to Earth. To, I don't know, to kill because they want to kill more people? I don't know. Yes. Why, and, and that, that, that's, that, uh, so that, that kind of ruins it. I know the screamers want to kill people, but they're not happy just being able to live on Sirius 6B. They, they have to take over more planets? Is that in their programming? What's going on? I think that, yes. I, Do I need my, to see Screamers too? Will I get the answer from that? <laughs> not exactly. Well, it's clear to be this much. They are unstoppable, unfeeling, want to kill any life 
at all. It's not just humans. They'll kill rats. They'll kill anything. They want to exterminate anything that they see as having a vital sign because that's how they're programmed. But as they become more and more varied as they're built and quote-unquote evolving, although I'm not sure why a, a meek orphan child is an evolution from a soldier. You can't leave a child behind. So if a child asks you to take me with you, you have to take a child with you. It pulls your heartstrings more. It made more sense to me. I, I thought that was a brilliant move on the Screamer's part. I don't know how they came to that conclusion, but yeah, I, I think it does make more sense. <laughs> uh, you know what doesn't make sense? If we build one child and it infiltrates... That's great. If we build armies of them and they all look the same and they all have teddy bears, they're never going to let another one in. Like, that only works once. Well, actually, in the screenplay, I can't believe I'm actually saying the screenplay actually helped us out there, but it did. They said one gets in and then the other one lets that one David lets the other Davids in at like at night. It opens the, it opens the doors. I know it sounds silly, yeah. but he lets the army of Davids in and they kill everybody, which is why when he keeps calling back to his own base, he can't get an answer and he figures out that the Davids have infiltrated his own base. They, they go back to the actual base and they figure out in a clever little way with the call back to the opera thing which i didn't which i thought was actually pretty clever the opera thing being that peter weller listens to don giovanni in the beginning i mean right and then later on he says it's don giovanni there and the screamers say oh sure he's down here like that's how he figures out that the screamers have taken over the base yeah they go back to get that ship that's programmed just for him so they have to keep him alive apparently because it's it's programmed for his dna and only he can activate it and they find the ship and he wants the girl to go instead of him because he's in love with the girl. And then we find out the girl is a screamer. And then he gets back to the base, and it turns out his best friend is also a screamer. Yeah, when did that happen? Well, I think he's a Variety 2 wounded soldier. Because he talks about how he had the skin of Becker, who was the original wounded soldier, and then he was killed, so then they used the skin of his friend or something. Go into these Variety 2s. Whenever they start killing a human, they start reciting poetry. Like, I was born with my legs face forward. What the <laughs> hell was that? Do we get answers to why the robots speak in poetry in Screamers 2? Oh, my God. No. No. They, Did, I think was that ever explained why they're poets all of a sudden when they go to kill humans? I wouldn't call it poetry. It was felt like nonsense to me. There were so many nonsensical lines from human and from Screamer in this. I mean... Pinocchio's not a real little boy. Uh, what was that? Th there was something about a piano tied to your butt. I mean, this yeah. there's some strange. There's some strangeness yeah. of dialogue in this. But my I'm, favorite I'm, is, if you're going to be a rock, be a rock. Don't be a bug. And this bug <laughs> that looks like a rock pops out. Yeah. Do you have a piano tied to your butt? Some great uh, lines in this movie. I didn't realize they can take the skin off of one guy and put it on the other so quickly to as not be noticed by the best friend. In the, it, doesn't, it didn't make much sense. It was trying to go for another twist at the end that was completely unneeded. Maybe because they realized they telegraphed the woman being replicant the whole time? I don't know. Well, it should be said that he even start, she starts acting like a robot. You know, that really bad performance where like, she's jerking her head and staring off. And so he takes his knife and slashes it across her hand, and she starts to believe. And that's what gives him the comfort to feel like, okay, all, all the screamers before have not been able to bleed. But he doesn't know that she's a... I guess Variety 4, the, the latest model, which is made entirely of synthetic organ parts and bleeds and has sex and has emotions and, and is essentially like a Rachel from Blade Runner where she's entirely like a human 
in every possible way except she's synthetic. What, let's talk about that. You mentioned it already. I don't know about you guys, but didn't it kind of feel a little bit rehashed, the idea of replicants being humans? Now, in Blade Runner, it was a whole different, they used it for a whole different reason and a whole different story. But the idea of humans being replicants and using the word replicant, it kind of seemed to me that it's like, we've done this before. I think it was a callback as much to Blade Runner the movie as it was to Philip K. Dick. I mean, I think Dan O'Bannon probably was just a fan of that movie. At that point, Blade Runner wasn't anything more than a cult movie. I mean, I guess it had started to been reintroduced in theaters and was starting to get more famous and, and respected. But the director's re- cut had already come out at this point, though. Right, exactly. Right. I think he saw it and liked it and said, let's, let's revive the word replicant. It's probably why this movie even got greenlit. The thing that's puzzling to me is that if Jessica is so much like a human that she can bleed and have emotions and what have you, why wouldn't all the screamers identify her as a living organism? What, at that point makes her not a robot. Well, and that's the big problem with this movie where Blade Runner explores these things like like just just to review, we get the beautiful monologue in Blade Runner. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Uh, you know, it, it, all those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain, time to die. The big epiphany in Screamers is Jessica dying saying, "I learned something else too. I learned too." And she passes on and Peter Weller says, "Love." <laughs> that's your comparison with Blade Runner here. This is just a just on a totally different level. They they don't want to really explore these themes. They want to tell an action movie. Yes, unfortunately, it is very uninspired here and very different from the story. The story again, the the woman basically gets to the ship and leaves Hendrickson to die with all of the different varieties coming at him and he observes wryly as they're coming that the varieties dislike each other and and start killing one another and he thinks that it's funny how even with the conformity that they're all these they're called claws in the story that they see differences in each other that makes them want to exterminate one another that and you do get the, you do get the line in the movie you're coming up in the world you learn how to kill each other but that it means something entirely yes. different yes. Yes. and it's they have inoculated the movie of any of that pathos and drama and it's it's just a stupid line about a chick on chick fight basically it's not right. a cold war parable in which even people that seek to make other people uniform will eventually find differences and exterminate each other i mean it was really an attack a rejection of communism now it's just something to say to a dead chick on the floor but it doesn't stop peter weller from getting into the ship blasting off and going back to Earth, which he could have done much earlier, even though he feels like Earth has betrayed him and that they're mining this other asteroid, that's the place he wants to go because he has a wife and daughter there that he hasn't seen in decades. But oh, lo and behold, he forgets that he has David's teddy bear. See, I thought that was just a teddy bear that showed up in the ship. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't even think he was carrying it with him. I, I thought, I thought they planted it in the ship. Yeah. yeah. Well, how would David? If, he was the only one that knew, even knew where the rocket was. And if the screamers were scheming to get him to show them where the rocket was, are you saying there was a little bear well, following they knew, around? They, they knew where the rocket. <laughs> they knew where the rocket was because uh, that that other friend that ended up being a screamer shows up there. It's that they needed his DNA to start it up. 
Right. So they, they knew it was there, so I, they, they could hide out there. Yeah, they didn't need him to find it. They needed him to start up the ship. Which is why they didn't scream him and kill him right away. Well, this is never explained. I mean, you just, you have to come to these <laughs> assumptions. Yeah. The yeah, give the information. All the exposition we gave, <laughs> they gave us, we could make this conclusion an educated guess. I thought, since there are more than one David, they planted a teddy bear on the dashboard. That's what I thought. Oh. Couldn't it explain to you why the bear had made it into the ship. But I thought it was sort of a, I guess horror movies always have to have a ironic twist. And this one is that the bear is the slowest activating screamer of all and is slowly starting to jerk a life as, uh, as he's blasting to Earth. I, I love that the Type 5 screamer was Teddy from AI. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually kind of like that. It was a cheesy horror thing, but when you see this like little teddy bear start to move around, I, I don't know. I liked it. It made me... So, Stuart, did you want to finish off anything about Screamers 2? What answers can you provide us? Okay. It happens 13 years after Screamers, and a mysterious woman who will eventually reveal herself to be the daughter of Hendrickson is part of a rescue mission going to Sirius 6B. There are still people there alive. I'm not sure who or how or why. There are still screamers there. And there is a meteor shower that is going to destroy the planet in six days unless they rescue all of the people. And she meets a hunky dude who ends up being a screamer and (gasps) impregnates her. And the last shot, I'm going to just go ahead and spoil it off. The last shot is she's waking up in cryosleep, hovering above Earth, and she goes, I'm pregnant. And he comes up, and his eyes turn black, and he's like, hey. And we get an inside (laughs) room shot, and her placenta, her whole fetus, like, starts pronging out. And like I buzz. so want to see this movie now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then they cut to the title screen, The Beginning, dot, dot, dot. Oh, so, I can't wait till Screamers 3 comes out. I was about to say that the setup is that there will be little buzzsaws running around Earth, futuristic Earth. Why on Earth, sorry, why on Sirius B did they want to make a sequel to this movie? I yeah, think why did does. they do it on Earth in the first place? They already set it up for an attack on Earth. Right. It's like Jurassic Park 3. They go to the island for the stupidest reason in the world, just to have another adventure on the island. What's the point? I can't tell you. I mean, you know, (laughs) what could I say to explain why there's even a Screamers, other than (laughs) the fact that it was a Dan O'Bannon pet project. The man had been responsible for writing Alien. Total Recall had been a big hit. And with Blade Runner back in theaters and, and gaining a cult status... Some people in, in Canada said, we can make this cheap. Why they did it again? I'll say this much. We're now at a point where we can make low-budget sci-fi look a lot better than we could in 1995. So it, even though it probably didn't cost a dime more, it looks like it did. All right. Well, Stuart, Jacob, do you recommend Screamers? Stuart. Oh, my God. I, I, it is maybe the worst movie I've reviewed for now playing. I really feel like... Really? As people, really? Yes, Really? I mean, what's worse? Jason takes Manhattan. It's as bad as that. I feel like (laughs) while I respected the original story, and you can get my review of the original story on booksandnachos.com. I'm reviewing all the Philip K. Dick stories. I'm separating my feelings about the core story with how it was executed. And the nicest thing I can say is I think it was really nice that they were able to create the screamers to rotate their buzzsaws at the exact same speed that Philip K. Dick must be inside his tomb. 
because <laughs> it is a real shame that that work ended up being this move. Jacob. You know what? I, I have to think about this one because, yeah, it, it's not a good movie. I don't think it's the worst movie I've reviewed for now playing, uh, but, but that I had to sit through uh, the Saw movies. So, uh-huh. Ooh, yes, <laughs> you know what? This this is better. I like this more than uh, Karate Kid Three. I didn't have to sit, sit through a Ralph Macchio mac and cheese monologue here. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I want to. Listen to our review. You'll know exactly what we're talking about. You know what? Yeah, there's a whole lot of exposition that just confused. I actually watched the beginning of this twice just so I could try to sort out all the exposition because I was confused. The ending of this movie is pretty dumb. I liked the middle, though. I liked when it got into the sci-fi horror part. Yeah, it was campy, and it's not a great movie. If if, If you're a science fiction fan where you like all that gobbledygook exposition and you know all these weird scenarios i'm not gonna say you're gonna hate this movie i almost like this movie i almost recommend it but i don't and i understand it's i i totally get what you're saying Stuart. it's not a good movie but i don't know it has a soft place in my heart so not recommend but but just you know a foot or two away from that recommendation line for me i'm not going to recommend this movie but i gotta say that it is far from the worst movie we've seen for these retrospective series we're doing. I enjoyed the first half of this movie somewhat. I was following it. Once the boy happened, I was like, okay, all right, okay. But then as soon as they got to the bunker with the three people and I could figure out who was the replicant almost instantly, I watched how many seasons of Battlestar Galactica? I've seen Blade Runner. You know, I've seen this before. And so for me, the shock value of the twists never hit home because I could see it coming a mile away. Now, is that because I've seen so many movies and science fiction television programs? Possibly. You know, I have this thing about if I know the story, if I know what kind of movie I'm getting, then it's not about being surprised all the time. It's about, do they tell this story well? And the answer is no, they do not. They telegraph everything. No, I can't recommend this movie, but you could do worse than watch it. If it's on on a late night movie, yeah, sit there and enjoy it. It is pure cheese fluff baloney. I totally agree with that. And if Screamers 2 is on, I'm going to watch it because I kind of like this movie. Yeah, I kind of liked a lot of it, but I can't recommend it. This one never really had me, but I wanted it to. I was rooting for it. It just didn't come together. So that's that. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please download our other podcasts in this Philip K. Dick series and our other Now Playing series. You can hear us talk about other replicants in our Terminator series or our Star Trek series because we have data there. So you can find a whole bunch of different kinds of movies we reviewed. You can listen to all those at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can find a link to our forums there. Please, if you like us, leave a review for us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook. Don't forget to go to booksandnachos.com to hear Stuart's review of Screamer's short story, which is called Second Variety, and all the other Philip K. Dick stories. They're at booksandnachos. That's booksandnachos spelled out, dot com. Jacob, Stuart, this was an interesting movie to watch, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. And join us next time when we're talking about another movie called Imposter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series. The best mindfuck yet. You can find the other episodes of the Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series at nowplayingpodcast.com in the archive section, as well as our reviews of other classic movie series including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, Rambo, The Karate Kid, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. 
No doubt the precogs have already seen this. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. We hope you enjoyed the ride! <laughs> you can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post movie mini-reviews, as well as announcements of new episodes. Links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now Playing presents the Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series podcasts are edited by Jay. I've seen every possible ending here. The films discussed in this series are the intellectual property of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. The precogs are never wrong, but occasionally they do disagree. Now playing is copyright and trademark Venganza Media Incorporated, 2011, all rights reserved. not included meets tremors in space wow (laughs) there you go if that sounds awesome to you you're gonna love this movie i mean of all the jessica tandy hume cronin pairings battery (laughs) not that was the third worst yeah (laughs) it's my hume cronin jessica tandy box set i have here on blu-ray no doubt so i have all these great extras okay everyone with me so far are we too fighting yet yeah, I know. So this is basically, <laughs> if you think this is a lot of exposition, folks, believe us, it's a lot of exposition. Robot in disguise. It's also a love story. How do you guys feel about that? Is this uh, tugging at the heartstrings the way that Deckard and Rachel did? I love that you said robots in disguise. I was thinking robots in disguise. Well, you know, Transformers is a total ripoff of Screamers. <laughs> <laughs> and a love story between Optimus Prime and Bumblebee. <laughs> But when you see this like little teddy bear start to move around, I, I don't know. I liked it. It made me smile. Wow. Can you and I be friends? <laughs> <laughs> teddy Ruxpin goes rabid. This was an interesting movie to watch, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. I'm taking a, cl- a buzzsaw to it from my memory as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to go to Recall and get it fully erased. <laughs> I'm there, baby. That's it. I don't want to go to Mars. I want to get this out of my head.